Now, every year we search for the perfect holiday enjoyment. In addition to joyful parties, Christmas cards, gifts that we share with friends and family, we might also seek the story, the traditional Christmas story. It's actually the basis of some of the great literature. We can bring in Mr. Ron Charles, who writes about books for Bookworld or the Washington Post, to hear about the current crop of Christmas books, which would make Charles Dickens blush. Good morning to you from Seoul. Thank you very much for joining us, and Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas to you. It's a great pleasure to be with you because my office manager. Her parents live in Korea, so we're all excited about this. Well, that's a nice synchronicity. Among the top 500 best-selling books in all formats on Amazon in the last few days, we've seen Christmas as the single most popular subject. So, in other words, the people definitely have an appetite for this kind of reading at this time of year. What's compelling about books that deal with Christmas? Do you think? I was surprised there were so many. I was looking over the list, and I saw one, then another one, and then. I counted up more than thirty-five of them, so it's a it's a real craze, uh, and all different approaches. I mean, in very different ways. There were science fiction Christmas books and Western Christmas books and romance Christmas books. There was just every possible genre applied to Christmas, often in in hilarious and absurd ways. There are many book titles referencing the holiday. They're not necessarily all of them. Uh, exactly traditional, though, <laughs> as we implied before. Um, can you give us some examples? Uh, there are some. Well, some of them are uh, fairly erotic uh, with terrible puns. I hope this doesn't offend your reader, your listeners. Uh, things like uh, jingle balls mm. or uh, eating her Christmas cookies. Uh, these are uh, comic romances. There are books in which uh, women fall in love with men who can turn into animals at Christmas time. Uh, there are books about uh, falling in love with billionaires and then having their baby around Christmas time. There are murder mysteries. There are murder mysteries on cruises. There are books about uh, motorcycle gangs at Christmas time. Honestly, you just you just cannot find any subject that has not been applied to Christmas. What would your advice be then to people who want to have something that's Christmassy as well as in the Christmas genre? <laughs> Uh, honestly, yeah, I would I would go back to a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I think it's it's still very charming, a little spooky. It's very sweet. Uh, it's very uplifting in the end. I think it still reads you know really well. It's aged it's aged very well. And we all know the cultural references to it, like people refer to as a Scrooge, even if we're not familiar with the book itself. So that helps, doesn't it, when you approach a work of the 19th century, let's say, to get around some of the antiquated details if you've got some familiarity. Exactly. And you'll remember some of it or you'll find that you know some of it just because, as you suggest, it's in the culture. But you won't remember a lot of it. I was surprised when I looked at it recently. I had forgotten uh, large parts of it, and I was I was very charmed by it. I also went to go see an original copy of the script that Charles Dickens used when he came to America recently that was on display in New York. And, you know, he would perform the whole thing. It took about an hour and a half, and tremendous crowds in America, and I'm sure in England, would come and listen to him. Uh, it, was, it was amazingly popular. That's a, an interesting point itself. So it takes an hour and a half to perform the whole thing. Many people are put off reading books because they think it's going to take them hours to get through them. <laughs> 
and of course, if you enjoy reading books, you want to enjoy them for hours, and sometimes they they run too short. But uh, again, you are speaking to a, a wide audience, some of whom may need to be sold on the idea of sitting down for a read. Well, this would be a good place to start if you want a, a Western Christmas book. Uh, it is a ghost story, uh, you might remember. Uh, Charles Dickens has since been called the man who invented Christmas, although certainly Christmas existed, of course, for hundreds of years before him. But he was the one who codified many of the Western traditions, uh, the attitudes, the parties, the the decorations, the, all this sort of mythology of the way we celebrate Christmas today. A lot of it can be traced back to that book and the popularity that he gave to that story. Well, many of us will also be familiar with the line, "'Twas the night before Christmas," and you probably know exactly where I'm going with this, but that was another work of the 19th century. The first half of the 19th century, Clement Clark Moore produced this, well, it's actually a poem, really, but it's, it's produced in a book-style format, so there are a whole range of traditions that we, we kind of take for granted that that book seemed to popularise. I read that book to my kids still, and they're, you know, fairly old around Christmas time, and it is a very charming poem, and it's where we get, you know, the flying reindeer and their names, and so many lines from that poem will be familiar to anyone, whether they've read it before or not. It's, uh, and you can find that online easily, and it's a very charming poem. And I do find it online, and I read it every Christmas Eve for my kids, as my father did for me, and whether they live it or not, they're, they're getting that... <laughs> They're getting that tradition. And even just getting them to sit down for five minutes or so that it takes if you're rushing um, it can be a challenge, on Christmas Eve especially. But do you feel, though, as I do, that you do have to introduce some kind of traditions if you want to enjoy the Christmas spirit, especially as it, it kind of is exported to countries around the world? People might be disappointed. They might think, oh, Christmas is all about commercialization, But... If you don't put in your side of it, you're not really going to maximize Christmas. Right. And also, when you talk about uh, going around the world and drawing lots of different people together to celebrate Christmas, of course, many of us come from different faiths. You know, we don't all have the religious background of Christmas anymore. And so a poem like this or like Charles Dickens' book is a way to still celebrate the holiday in ways that have nothing to do with a particular uh, religion or theology. And I think that's a very sweet thing. Well, I know that there are some Buddhist temples here that have got uh, decorations lit up. They're just not um, traditionally Christian decorations, but it, it certainly seems to be something that this country is getting on board with. Um, as someone, by the way, who writes about books and publishing for the Washington Post, could you tell us the process of you selecting books to read or, or reviewing? You can't do a Christmas carol every week. <laughs> no, although I do it every year. Uh it's really hard because uh, the number of books is uh, just unbelievable. We get about 150 books a day, and we review about 20 a week. So we exclude hundreds and hundreds of books. And as you can imagine, that's a process that takes place very, very quickly as we try to identify books by major authors, uh, books uh, that we think are particularly important to our audience, we know that our audience is very interested in politics because of where we are in Washington, D.C. They're interested in history and biography and literary fiction. So we go through this 
tremendous uh, tide of books that washes in every day, and we pick out the books we think are going to be of interest, and we look at those a little more carefully. We try to find reviewers, uh, and we winnow that down to about 20 books a week and get them assigned. And This takes place about three months before the reviews actually appear in the paper. So uh, we're working, uh, we're already working on uh, February and March now. And as someone who reads presumably a lot, you know, just revisiting a problem I mentioned before, the, the, the issue we have today of just feeling a little impatient to sit down and read, what would your advice be to someone who, you know, is struggling through the first few pages of a novel that you have, like, really recommended? Is there a technique that you personally have when you have to do the review, whether you're enjoying it or not? Uh, my job is unusual in that I have to read the book and I have to finish it and I have to say something uh, that I hope will be interesting to people. But as a parent and as a longtime English teacher, my advice was always find books you enjoy reading and don't feel burdened. Don't feel that it's a duty that's just awful. Uh, whatever the, you know, keep looking. There are so many books out there. Go to a good bookstore, ask someone, you know, what would I enjoy? Tell them a few books you've enjoyed in the past. Get some good recommendations. And if you're not hooked in 20 or 30 pages, put it aside and find something else. You do not, you should not feel burdened to drag yourself through some book that is not engaging you. There is really no excuse not to find books that we can enjoy. There, there is this talk of the, the medium on the wane, but actually the reality is you can stay online for the process of selection you can read a review from someone like yourself you can head to somewhere like amazon you can get the first few dozen pages as a free sample and before even going to a bookshop and buying a book or buying it online you you can have a very good idea can't you exactly and you mentioned uh, the ebooks i would really recommend your listeners make reading as easy and accessible as possible and if that means, you know, downloading a book onto your phone so that when you're stuck on the subway or, you know, you're in an appointment and you have a half hour to kill, you don't always have a book with you, but you've always got your phone with you. And if you've downloaded something or a few things, you can start clicking through and just, you know, use those minutes that a lot of us just waste uh, to read a, read a good book or a short story. Honestly speaking, though, do you read on your phone? I don't because I have to take notes. Right. Lots and lots of notes, because I can't remember anything anymore. I mean, of course, you can, with these apps, in theory, make digital notes, but you prefer to do it by hand. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did try that as an experiment once and wrote about it, and it was very, very cumbersome. But my wife, who's also an English teacher, uh, she resisted. She thought e-books were terrible. She thought it was cold, and she, didn't, she missed the feel of the book. But, you know, you don't have to get stuck in, in, uh, on the subway or waiting for an appointment too many times to realize how convenient it is. Or you're at the airport or you're on a plane and you don't have your book, but you've got your phone and there's your, there's your book in there. And I do want to emphasize short stories again. If your listeners are having trouble finding time, I mean, there are many, many fine short story writers out there. Find a collection or by one author or even a collection of, by many on some subject that interests you. And then you've got, you know, a little 45-minute complete reading experience there. There might also be a comparison to be made with something like fine wine. I know you said you've got to find a book that you enjoy and don't 
unnecessarily encumber yourself. But by the same token, when you first drink wine, you might think, gosh, this is a terrible drink. I'm never going to go there again. With fine writing also, it, it requires a certain mindset, which you're not necessarily going to have straight away out of school. It's true, but I really want to work against the feeling that it's a duty or it's an obligation or it's something academic or school-like. I think that instantly turns people off, and there are lots of exciting, romantic, exotic, erotic, whatever you're into. There are books out there that can grab and hold your attention, and don't feel that you have to be some sort of intellectual if that's not what interests you at the moment. One final question. You said Charles Dickens performed books. Do you think audiobooks is a good route for people to go down? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned, because here in this country, it's such a heyday for audiobooks. The publishers are putting tremendous effort into these books and producing such fine productions with you know, great actors and sound effects and music. They're more like uh, radio plays of old now. I've just heard some tremendous audiobooks, and even books by single readers now are just so much better than they've ever been in the past. And, you know, in this country audiobooks is the only part of the publishing industry that's rapidly accelerating each year. Lots of people are discovering this, and I think it's because they've discovered how to download these audiobooks onto their phones, which they always have with them, and they're very, very enjoyable. You can, you know, you can listen while you're driving, you can listen while you're exercising, and the publishers have responded with really high-quality productions. Yeah, you can even listen with your eyes rested and closed, although it has to be an interesting listen to uh, to maintain concentration, <laughs> I can say from personal experience. Ron Charles of the uh, Washington Post, thank you, and again, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.